We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. We're recording right after the Lakers fell 111 to 104 to the Milwaukee Bucks, ending their five-game road trip three and two. And this is one of those marquee games, right, that we had circled on the calendar. Darius, I was struck by how similar this game was to the opening night loss against Milwaukee. Did you see similar things? Yeah, I thought to myself, oh, this is like the Clippers game. Why? Why was it like the Clippers game? Well, I I mean, for a bunch of reasons. Um, Let's start with a trivial one. Danny Green was hot. Danny Green going off. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) let's start in a good place, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You you know, just on a sidebar, because we're going to get into the heavy stuff in in a second. It was really good just to see Danny Green hit some shots, man. He's had a rough month of December. You know, I, I think he started the month shooting over 40% on threes for the season. He saw his percentage mm-hmm. drop to, I think, around 35% mm-hmm. for the year. He was shooting something like 26% on threes and not on a small volume up until the Bucks game. And so it was nice to see him turn it around. I just wanted to give Danny Green a shout out at some point. And so I'm glad you sort of brought up the Clipper stuff first, because it really did remind me of that. In terms of the other stuff, um, just LeBron, mostly. Um, and the idea that he was really looking to pass a lot, sort of in the restricted area, his sort of up and down confidence with his jumper 
Um, mm-hmm. Today, I thought it was a little bit better than opening night, but this was probably a night where LeBron needed to shoot maybe five or six more threes, especially at the rate that he was making them. Mm-hmm. Davis's ability to sort of compile numbers, just a lot of stuff was just like, ooh, this just has that feeling to it, right? And, and also, too, the Lakers is sort of being at arm's length and never really threatening in a real way. It felt like they had a couple of good pushes in the second half, and I really thought they regained their composure in the third quarter. But the Bucks always seem to make a play. They always seem to hit a key bucket. They always seem to get a defensive stop or a loose ball. Just a lot of stuff, stuff like that. What, like, what were you seeing since since you sort of brought up the trend? Yeah, shot creation. The stuff about LeBron is. You know, I think it's easy for us to analyze every little detail, but like LeBron was eight for 19 against the Bucks yeah. and he was seven for 19 against the Clippers on opening night. I think he had five turnovers in both games. Just not like the way this roster is constructed is if the Lakers want to beat elite teams, LeBron James has to be great. And he has not been great in either of the two really marquee games that the Lakers have had so far. He's had plenty throughout his career. It's not something I'm I'm worried about at this point, at least. But I think a lot of it has to do with his jump shot. A lot of it has to do with, you know, he's not able to power through the interior of Milwaukee the way that he can against a lot of other teams. He does not have the... Um, the, vert- the vertical ability, the leaping ability around the rim that he once has had. I think that of all of the, like he's still found ways to be the remarkable player that he is. But I think that against teams like this, a certain lack of explosiveness relative to who he used to be, it's where it stands out the most. That's a great point. That's just a great point. Yeah, no, th- no, that's just something that this, it's more important in this type of game where you can get away with it in other places. Then, man, Rondo, man, I know it's a dead horse. I know this is something that can irritate you to the degree to which uh, Lakers Twitter in general can kind of get after him. But this is the type of game, I, I-, I want to think about it in a different way. Not yeah. talking about Rondo, but the role that Rondo fills. We need a guy like Rondo, man, but we need a guy who's better than Rondo at doing the things that Rondo does. We had four points off of the bench and we weren't getting good looks. And I think this is something yeah. we disagreed with a little bit tonight on like the quality of looks that the Lakers were getting. But they were there were so many possessions that I just didn't love, man. And like Rondo's not doing the job that he's here to do. And then we could defensively. But anyway, I digress. I'll start with your point about our disagreement. I didn't necessarily disagree with you that the Lakers shot quality was better than what it was they weren't getting good shots Mm -hmm. um I just think that the way their offense is set up is that Davis and LeBron are are just going to have to hit some of those shots Mm -hmm. and tonight they didn't Mm -hmm. at that point of the game where you and I were sort of chatting some on Twitter they had maybe already had a couple of semi-open jumpers rattle in and out Mm -hmm. Davis had missed a lob dunk where he had asked for a foul he had sort of gotten to to the rim and had that little scoop layup dribble off the rim after that went halfway down. Like I was saying, if two or three of those shots go in, the Lakers, like the game's probably tied at that point or they're ahead by a basket. Mm-hmm. But I think your overall point still resonated with me that the Bucks are a really good team. The Lakers needed to be better than what they were. 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and the shot quality stuff rang true to me from that standpoint. I also just felt like, well, some of these shots are shots the Lakers just make, and some of them were like halfway down and went out, right? So it's like process versus results. I was I was more on the results angle, mm-hmm. and you were more on the process side. In the big picture, I definitely lean more towards the process side, just as you do, right? But in the middle of, of a game, I felt like, eh, a couple of these go the Lakers way. And in the context of a single game, that's momentum, right? And over the big picture, I do want some of those process things to change. But in the context of this specific game, it was more like, oh, well, just give me two or three of those shots of mm-hmm. the six or seven that were all contested. And it's a different game, really. So let, let's let's try to pick apart what was just that's how this game worked out versus yeah. like this is what the Lakers are relative to the other elite teams in the NBA. And so like with LeBron and AD, AD shot 0 for 6 from 3. I mean, in a very simplistic way, the difference in this game is Giannis going 5 for 8 from 3 and AD going 0 for 6, right? Like the, there's yeah. way more than that, but just like shot making from these guys who are below average shooters, but can do it. Like one of them had a great night. One of them had a bad night from three. That's something that's, that's going to vary from game to game. And so that is a, this game specific type thing. Same thing with LeBron. Although I do think that there are some like his, he loses confidence in his jumper. Like seeing that happen in both games was interesting. Or do you not agree with that depiction? No, I definitely agree with the confidence stuff. I also think that, and this is where, to me, this actually falls in line with a bigger trend, but is also very specific to this game because it's, it's like certain qualities that certain opponents have that matter here. Mm-hmm. The confidence with LeBron's jumper is one thing. The other thing, though, is that LeBron still really wants to be at the rim. Mm -hmm. And he is smart enough to understand, I think, in the same way that you just brought up some of his limitations Mm. at the rim. He understands those too, right? Like Mm -hmm. LeBron's not a dummy. You and I are on our couch. He watches more film than either of us, Absolutely. right? And, Absolutely. And you live in the film room. Your damn name is Laker well, film and, room, right? Well, he's on the court, too. Like, the game looks so different, yes. man, in those – and he's got more experience doing that in his particular role than anybody. Yeah, so I'm not telling LeBron something that he doesn't already know, for sure. My point about that is, is I think that there's a certain amount of frustration that can build with LeBron, especially when – okay, so Danny Green's hot, but – and KCP hit a couple of hit a couple of shots, but I thought the tenor of this game was one where DiVincenzo hits a three, mm-hmm. Giannis hits a couple of pull up threes, Wes Matthews hits a couple of threes, Chris Middleton, right? And there was a point in the game where I think the Bucks had hit seven threes. I think they were seven for they were like seven for sixteen or seven for eighteen. They were like forty percent ish around there, mm-hmm. and five different players had hit those seven threes. Sure. Meanwhile, the Lakers were swinging the ball to Alex Caruso, miss Rajon Rondo, even taking the shot. miss. Yeah, right. Yeah, there were all of these micro frustrations. I feel like that were happening with LeBron. He actually, to me, seemed confident with his jumper early in the game even when it wasn't going in because he took a couple of really early threes and then went back to it even after the shots didn't fall. And at one point he was three for six from three. So I thought he felt fine with it. Mm -hmm. I also felt though that he understands part of his ability to dictate the 
flow of the game and sort of be that chess master is going to be dependent on his success and his team's success in the restricted area. Possession after possession, he has to pass in the restricted area because he knows this is not a good finishing opportunity for me. And the right play is to actually pass to an open three-point shooter. And that three-point shooter either misses or turns down a wide open three. Like, I didn't even get to your Rondo stuff. We're going to have to get back to him a little bit later in the pod. Mm -hmm. But if those players aren't making those shots and they didn't really tonight against the Bucks, Danny Green did, but really no one else like felt like they were on it. You, you know, and that's a problem. I, I totally get that. And I agree. But Danny Green being on to the degree that he was like in aggregate, the Lakers shot 12 for 35. That's 34.3 percent. Like, yeah, maybe sure. you hit one more shot and that's but, but that's basically indicative in aggregate, even if it's just one guy who's doing the, the bulk of that work. Like, I didn't think the Lakers shooting overall was that anomalous. Like, I, I thought this was just kind of how they shoot, just not the distribution of it. Yeah, well, the distribution matters though. Dan and e. Green isn't out there for forty-eight minutes, mm-hmm. right? That's like, like he, like he didn't flank LeBron for every single minute that he was on the floor with him. And Danny Green's going to play 24, 20, 26 minutes. Like, like what did he get tonight? He got Dan, Danny Green played minutes. thirty-five minutes, so he was well over that. And he was a plus LeBron nine played thirty. But that's the thing, though. How's Danny Green going to be a plus nine? And what's LeBron this game, man? LeBron was what? A minus 14. 13? Minus 14. 14. So so let's talk about that real quick. That is indicative because LeBron played 37 minutes. AD played 43. How are you a plus six in 43 minutes? In the five minutes that AD sat, that means the Lakers got outscored by 13 points. That's a lot, man. And where that game was lost was in the second quarter, at the beginning of the second quarter. because And that's how LeBron gets to a minus 14, while AD, this guy he played most of the game with, was a plus six, right? Is because those units, and those are the Rondo units, man. Those are the ones with Rondo. And the way we start the second quarter and the way that we start the fourth quarter is with both of those guys out there. Now, it's good to have LeBron out next to Rondo because Rondo cannot create against these teams, but that's a problem. That's what Rondo does. So if he can't do that against these types of teams, it was similar problems against Indiana. And teams are starting to close out to him a little harder. He had that one corner three where he should have shot it and he didn't take it and then just hatched it. And it was a 24 second shot clock violation. Uh. Like he's not good enough anymore. There's like that. That's the one thing where we could talk about like, oh, this is just one game because Danny Green shot this, but the other guy shot like that. Yeah, that's all one single game variance. I, I swear Rondo is not good enough anymore to be in these types of games. He does not have the skill set. He cannot shoot well enough to Take those those small window shots. That corner three that he passed up, that's like, look, it's great that he's shooting 45% on these wide open shots where they don't guard him. What's he shooting on those type of shots? Those are NBA final shots right there, man. And if he's yeah. not shot creating and he can't make those type of shots, and when they do close out to him, he's going to attack the closeout and not be a scoring threat at all. So Giannis is going to drop off of AD, and then Rondo's still going to try that lob to AD, and it's going to get deflected away. Rondo had five turnovers 
hours and 18 minutes in this game. And again, this is not about Rondo. Great players get old. Rondo was a great player once in a while. If you watch the player that he is right now, he's not good enough to do the job that the Lakers need him to do. It's got nothing to do with Rondo and everything to do with what the Lakers need from that position on this particular team with their particular style. They do not rely on sets to be able to create open looks. They need individuals. They need people to be able to create those shots. And they've only got one of them right now. And Anthony Davis, right? And so, well, and, but Anthony Davis, Davis can, creates for himself, right? Yes, and, and that, that's not yes. nothing, right? But the, it's not. They need even if that guy on the perimeter just creates for himself, can just get a freaking bucket off of a ball screen. Like that's something. That's something to put next to LeBron yeah. James too. Like Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose right? would be great. He, he that's absolutely sure. the type of guy that they need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, I know exactly what you mean by this. Two things about Rondo. A, I think everything you said is true. B, this was a particularly woeful game from Rondo. Because he doesn't belong in it. Like, like he will have that game, some version of that game, way more often than he's going to have a good game against a team like the Bucs. Yeah, like, there's really no counter to that. I really don't want to rail on Rondo for the next 10 minutes about this, right? Like, I think that everything that you said basically sums it up. The The part that's concerned, that's especially concerning to me about Rondo moving forward, though, is against good defenses, his most effective action in the half court is going to be a pick and roll. And against effective drop coverages, he's going to get swallowed alive. And that's the problem, really. And on some levels, that's the issue with LeBron against drop coverage when there's two bigs in the game as well, because LeBron understands the game so well, he knows that that 15-foot pull-up jumper, A, isn't a good shot, and B, is especially not a good shot for him, right? Like, that's not his shot. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing is, but sometimes you got to take that shot. Like one of the few gaps in LeBron's game, LeBron's more comfortable is taking those pull-ups with his momentum going backward. So sometimes he'll do that and he'll like ball fake and let like the back pressure guy go by and then take like a little fadeaway type jumper. And he's okay on those. Yeah. But one of the few gaps in his skill set is he does not have like a floater in that five to seven foot range that like he's good at it from especially the left side. He had a great game winner a couple of years ago in the playoffs. We just barreled down the lane and hit a, a floater on the run. But that little teardrop shot, like right in the paint is not something that he has. So he passes that shot up. Yeah. But obviously with LeBron, you get way more. But with Rondo in those drop coverages, they're going to make him be a scorer. And he's just not good enough at doing that. Yeah. You got to be able to put up 15, 18 points when they defend you that way to fill that yeah. role. And he just can't do it. And then when you combine that with his defensive, he lost several shooters and, and missed several rotations or was just simply too small. He was in the right place. It just did not matter because he was not big enough to impact the play. Like all of these things, like they need a dude, man. Like, and, and I guess, so if you generally agree with what I'm saying ab about Rondo, where do we go from here? What can they do about this? So here's the thing is that the issues are compounded by the fact that the rest of the Lakers guards don't necessarily have these tools in their bag either. No, they don't have another option to do this. Yeah. So some random player that I've been thinking about 
mostly because I listened to a podcast where his name came up in trade spec speculation, not being reported, but just as an idea that was flow floated out there was um, Bogdanovich from the Kings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? He's not a point guard. He's basically a shooting guard. And he even plays some minutes as small forward because, you know, De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald and all of these other guys that the Kings have, right? But Bogdanovich can play pick and roll and he can sort of like create off of the dribble some. These are skill sets that I thought maybe Kyle Kuzma would bring to the table a little bit more, but he's been so up and down this season and been injured as well. And that just hasn't been his role because we talked about this earlier during the season that he's been playing a lot of minutes with Rondo, right? And that's not going to be Kuzma's role when he's sharing the floor with another ball-dominant point guard. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that ideally the skill set you want from a point guard in in today's NBA, even if he's not going to be like a frontline star, right? And the Lakers do not need a frontline star at point guard is a guy who, when they go under, he can shoot the three off of a dribble. When they chase over the top, he can then attack the front of the rim as a scorer and have a floater game to open up the lob within the pick and roll, right? And if he can hit the pocket pass, that's even better. But the threat of the lob with the big men that he's going to play with with the Lakers is probably going to be enough for that. Rondo doesn't do either of those things. Mm -hmm. And really, that's the issue with him, especially since the Lakers as constructed now do not have the secondary wings that can run ball screen handoff actions that develop into something more, Mm -hmm. right? Like KCP can do that a little bit. Avery Bradley can do that a little bit, but you need someone who feels comfortable. Like if 50% of my possessions are that like great, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's the kind of guy that the Lakers need. And I don't know if they're going to get that guy this year, which means that the lift is going to be heavier on LeBron James. It's going to be heavier on Anthony Davis. And honestly, it's going to be heavier on Frank Vogel. Mm. What can he do about it? I actually don't have a lot of answers right this second. It's a personnel issue, man. That's the thing is when you get when you get to like I'd like to see them run more plays to be less dependent on individual shot creator because they don't have that second guy outside of LeBron. But you do need someone to do those things that you were just talking about. And that's gonna be something yeah. like critical that they are able to upgrade that. I don't think it needs to be a star, like you said, but it needs to be someone where and again, this is not like it's not just a Rondo thing. Quinn Cook can't do this, Troy Daniels can't do this, Avery Bradley, Alex Caruso. None of our guards, KCP, who's been playing wonderfully, none of our guards can do the thing that Rondo does. Just Rondo just doesn't do it well enough. Is the caliber of player that we need usually available on the buyout market? No. Mm. You think we need to make a trade? First off, do you, do you think that this is critical enough to where they actually have to make a move to address it? I honestly think against the best teams, it gives you a better chance. I'm going to take a step back here because it relates back to something that you were talking about earlier in terms of this game versus like systemic sort of issues. One of the things I wrote coming into this game at Forum Blue and Gold in my game preview was that the context of this game was going to matter. The game is in Milwaukee. The Lakers are on game five of a five-game road trip. 
Anthony Davis is a little bit banged up. They're missing a key piece. These things all sort of tilted the game to me in the Bucks' favor a little bit. And it made me think that it would not then surprise me if the Lakers lost. And what was going to matter more to me was sort of the level to which they competed and some of the other sort of like big picture stuff that showed up. The Lakers competed okay. And then at the end, they competed hard, mm-hmm. right? And so over the course course of the game, it was, ah, oh, there's stuff I don't really like here. And then, okay, the Bucks are really putting it to them. Are the Lakers going to make a push? Yes, they did. And then not only did they make, make a push, but they kept at it. Right. Mm-hmm. When the Bucks punched back, the Lakers then punched back again and it sort of became a game and the lead was just too big. Right. And so to me, all of those things are sort of encouraging. The stuff that's discouraging is some of the bigger structural stuff that you spoke to. And so do I think the Lakers need need to make a trade? I'm not sure. I wrote about this, actually, as silver screen screened and roll. I sort of both sides the argument about how actively should the Lakers be looking to improve their roster? Like they were tied for the best record in the league. They're in a very unique position where you can clearly see the places where they can upgrade. And then you can clearly see that the structure of this specific team and the chemistry that they have and the the results that they've achieved have been like super Mm -hmm. high. And so do you risk disrupting that at a chance to be better? Right. Like there are no guarantees that the moves that they make are actually going to align things in in a way where the end product is better. Like we've we've talked about this a bunch that this roster sort of seems to fit not only from a skill set perspective in terms of how they work around James, James and Davis, but from a personality standpoint and the chemistry within this specific group of players and how they get along and how that matters, does a trade disrupt that? And this is why when you're asking me like, what can they do? I'm like, I don't know. There's, it's tricky. And and I don't like the reason why I wrote the post the way that I did, which is like, hey, there's this side and there's that side. And what would I do? I don't know because I really don't. What would you do? So you brought up Derek Rose. He's a guy I've been thinking about. I don't know what the situation is in in Detroit, if that's be something that they're, you know, willing to do. And that's not something that, you know, is anywhere close, even if that were the case, right? Uh, my first place to look for all of the reasons that you mentioned is to pick somebody up. Do not subtract, but add to what this team is. And I think that's ultimately what the goal of the buyout market is. I don't entirely agree that the level of guy that we need won't be available on the buyout market. You know, there are different possibilities of what that can be, or if that's something can, let me ask you this, Darius, do you, do you shop coups at all? Or to what degree? Like, obviously he shouldn't be, nobody should be untouchable aside from LeBron and AD, but thinking of the dynamic that you're talking about, these guys like each other, they respect each other. The Lakers have made trades throughout their history for guys like Michael Thompson and Bob McAdoo and kind of 
trading out younger guys and assets for these midseason deals that kind of bolster what they do. Kyle Kuzma mm-hmm. is the one like asset that the Lakers have, like the most tradable asset. Yeah. Now there's a problem that he doesn't make enough money to make salaries match, but between yeah. like Quinn Cook and Boogie, you can get like a mid, a 10 million, 12, 15 million type guy. Yeah, I I did the math. Kuzma, Cousins, and Cook, if their salaries are aggregated in a trade, you can bring back in up to 12.7 million, okay. I think, because I believe it's 150% of the salary. So right? we've seen guys like we've seen guys like Robert Covington and Bogdanovich, as you talked about earlier, guys in just kind of general rumors, right? That that gets you one of those guys, at least legally. We don't know if that would, you know, be sufficient in terms of talent, but you could legally execute a trade for that type of player. Yes. The thing is though, and and so look, the Lakers are really short in two areas. They're short in terms of wing defense. We saw that a little bit with tonight with Giannis. I thought LeBron did okay on some possessions. I also thought Giannis looked like I'm the young thoroughbred and you're sort of the guy who's aging out a little Mm -hmm. bit. Like, no disrespect, you're in year 17 and I'm a 25-year-old MVP Mm -hmm. of the league, right? Like, some of this is just natural stuff. They need, but they do need another wing defender. Then they also need sort of a guy who can be a little bit of a shot creator, distributor type of guy, right? To supplement LeBron, preferably like a good ball handler, right? So that's two players. From a prioritization standpoint, which one do you think matters more? I put way more value on that shot creator, on that second guy, because I actually thought the Lakers defended Giannis pretty well. It was AD defending him. It was the scouting report that didn't work out, right? It was like, hey, let him take these threes. And they didn't like completely leave him alone. They gave up some light contests and he made the shots. Going to happen sometimes. Like it reminds you of like those Miami Heat LeBron days, right? Where the scouting report was sag, was sag off of him and and the nights when those went in, you you tipped your cap hey, and you were just like, hey, yeah, yeah, like the best player in the world just decided that his weakness was a strength. Sorry. Right. Like you get beat. So I, I didn't have a problem with how the Lakers defended Giannis. It was the results look great. Right. 34 points, 11 for 19, 7 for 10 from the free throw line, 5 for 8 from 3. All that, like stuff the box score and all that. I thought the Lakers did a good job. If they defend Giannis like that over the course of a seven-game series, I think that's about as good as you you can do. It's the shot creation, man. It's the when LeBron is on the bench or if LeBron is not having a great game, right? Yeah. Like it's beyond just those 11 minutes where LeBron sat tonight and into the, can somebody else do something? You know what the, actually they got some success out of that I'm curious to see if they do more of was Freaking Anthony Davis as the ball handler on pick and rolls. They were having Alex Caruso set ball screens for him. Like they'd reverse the ball to the weak Mm -hmm. side. And then AD was attacking the basket and hit several floaters off of that type of play. Is AD like the second best, you know, perimeter ball handler shot creator that we have? It's something worth exploring. But I do think that AD can handle that wing responsibility. That makes me really, really prioritize at this point because I think that AD can handle that wing defense and we've got enough of the interior defense with AD out on the wing to be able to handle that. I don't see how we cover up for the lack of shot creation outside of LeBron. See, so I agree with you, but only to a certain extent because I still believe that in closing time against a team like the Bucks, against a team like the Clippers, you're not going to have that second big man on the floor a lot Mm -hmm. that 
Anthony Davis is going to have to play center. You see, you see me with my, yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, and I think that there are ways to work around that, but I think another wing defender is going to be important because you're not necessarily going to want to put LeBron on that guy as well. And so there will be situations where you're going to want AD and LeBron and a third guy to defend the wing wing big scenario, Mm -hmm. right? And you do that in one of two ways. You do that by saying, okay, AD, you guard the other wing. We bring in a second big man and he will guard the big and Davis and LeBron wing wing, right? Or Danny Green and right, like we sort of come at you this way. I still think that there's going to be matchups where you want to force the hand of the other team. Mm-hmm. And you're going to want to say, Davis, you like you play the five and another combo forward is needed to sort of say he can take one of those wings or the power forward. And maybe that is Kyle Kuzma. I think LeBron's going to end up playing the five defensively in the types of situations. This is like playoff specific type stuff. Sure. We'll have plenty more to talk about it. But LeBron actually does a really great job on Brooke Lopez. Yeah. I think that he could handle Montrez Harrell, especially considering a lot of those are pick and roll situations where Lakers probably just switch uh, that Lou Williams, Montrez, mm-hmm. you know, sure. ball screen situation. So I think AD is your primary wing defender. LeBron is really good at rotating within like the 15-foot yeah, yeah. area, right? So he's going to draw a lot of charges. Drew one on Giannis that got him sent to the bench tonight. Uh, he's really good at making his rotations, doesn't always close out to the three-point line. But he's at his best, I think, at this point of his career, making five-man type rotations. That doesn't make him a shot blocker, but he beats guys to the spot, which is the yeah. other way to be a really good defender in that spot. You put... AD on the man, your Kawhis, your Siakams, your Giannis's, and then have Danny Green defending the other wing. And I think that's enough. Now, is that mean that Kuzma is out there too? Maybe, right? Is KCP involved in that? I think there are different variations you can go with that. But in terms of addressing, or yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Sure. There are different variations where I'm like, hey, I think that, that that'll work. But I think I feel way better about our wing defense than I did at the beginning of the year. And I feel worse about our shot creation. So it's interesting. It, no, like I'm with you. I'll be very interested in seeing how much self-reflection they do based off of games like this and whether or not they look in the mirror and say, hmm, I see some structural issues or if they look in the mirror and sort of say, huh, you know, Fifth game of a five-game road trip, banged up. We didn't have have our guys, right? Uh, it was opening night. We, we like right. Bro, you know like, what's you know what's gonna you know what's gonna settle that? It's Christmas Day. Chris, Christmas Day. Yes. You ain't got none of them excuses. They gotta win on Christmas. So yeah. with all that said, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires, it's in, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. Shot that ties an NBA Finals record.
Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it. Brian, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?